The New Orleans Saints have made a lot of news this offseason, but also have some storylines that have been slept on, including revamping one of the most important skill positions on their offense. We got all that and a little bit of land yet for you on today's episode of Locked on Saints. You are Locked on Saints, your daily New Orleans Saints podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is good, Houdet Nation and Houdet family? Welcome into another episode of Locked On Saints, your daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Saints, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks so much, as always, for making Locked On Saints your first listen of the day every day. Don't forget, you can subscribe and follow for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to keep the conversation going one-on-one with me, you can do so by heading over to joinsubtext.com slash Locked On Saints today. And I am your host, as always, Ross Jackson, at Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter, your New Orleans Saints expert, credential member of the media, senior writer and reporter over at Saints News Network, which is Sports Illustrated's fan nation site covering the New Orleans Saints. You'd also find me every Tuesday over on the Locked on NFL podcast and here with you every single Monday through Friday and then some on Locked on Saints. On today's episode of Locked on Saints, we're taking a look at some of the most slept on storylines around the New Orleans Saints offseason so far. We'll have a little bit of a lightning round at the end of the show, including an unexpected position battle that not a lot of us really saw coming. We're also going to talk about the addition of Jamal Williams, which has kind of found the back burner here recently. But I want to start things off today with the Saints reloading one of the most important skill positions on their offense, and that is the tight end room. Now, usually when we talk about the skill position players over on the offensive side, and what those position groups are. We think the most important, we think of running back, we think of wide receiver. We usually think of tight end three out of three in terms of that category, right? You've got the quarterback all by himself. You've got the offensive line and you've got the skill position players, wide receiver, running back. And then usually tight end is there towards the end. Right now, with the type of quarterback that the New Orleans Saints have, with the type of offense that they want to be able to run, with their ability and the ability that they want to be able to use to disguise They needed a good tight end room, and that tight end room went from being a liability last year with the exception of Jawan Johnson, and to an extent, um, uh, uh, Taysom Hill You know, wasn't really a liability. It's just he was used in a bunch of different ways. Now the Saints add Foster Moreau. Lucas Kroll takes another step. They bring in another veteran like Jesse James. They trade away Adam Troutman, who just wasn't coming along in terms of what the New Orleans Saints wanted. And so I think they have done a good job taking a position group That was a major concern last year and turning it into one of their stronger positions over on the offensive side. There's a little bit of extra evidence to just show you how how much stronger this New Orleans Saints offense is. I want to talk a little bit about the addition of Foster Moreau. Uh, Pro Football Focus at the end of the 2022 season ranked their top 15 tight ends in the NFL. And Foster Moreau was number 15. And so when you have number 15 being being added to your team. You're adding a top 15 tight end, right? And so when we look at the New Orleans Saints, we look at some of the things that they highlighted over at Pro Football Focus. They did highlight that he struggled a little bit in the run blocking game, which is something that you would like to see tick back up in the Saints system. 40.8 run blocking grade uh, during his time. But to give you an actual metric as opposed to a grade, 2.8% positive run blocking ranking. So 2.8% was sort of the, the amount of times that he had a positive showing in the run game as a run blocker. That's not great uh, when it comes to, you know, the what you want out of your run blocker. So you'd like to see that. But here's the other stuff that he did. 12th 
in the NFL at receiving grade. He also was the only tight end that had 40 or more pass blocking snaps. He had 63 at the tight end position across the NFL to not surrender a single pressure. So there's a little bit of that blocking prowess that we know that Foster Moreau has. Just want to see it a little bit more in the run game. He also converted 70.6% of his catches for first downs or touchdowns and 35.3% of his catches were registered as explosive plays as Pro Football Focus defines those 15 yards or more. And remember, he did all of that working with the exact same quarterback that he's going to be working with in New Orleans and in a system that valued tight ends just as much as the New Orleans Saints system values tight ends. Let's go a step further. You want to talk about individual performance at a position. Fantasy football is a pretty good way to do that. I don't do a lot of fantasy football stuff here on the show because I can't win my league, so I don't want to give you advice, but I can tell you how these guys performed in 2022. You can start off with Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill was top five, one, two, three, four, five, six different times, six different times, six games out of the, let's call it 17 games uh, that he would have qualified for as a top 10 tight end. Now in those, you have to consider what Taysom Hill also did, which included throwing passes and running the ball and all those other things. But he is a part of that tight end room. And so he is a part of the conversation about how this team is better at tight end. He actually ranked as the tight end one in uh, weeks five and 13. And he ranked as one of the top three tight ends across the NFL in fantasy scoring, despite only catching nine passes because of all of the other things that he does. But He's a part of that room and he's a part of why that room is as good. But don't worry, it's not just him, right? You also have Juwan Johnson, who was a top five tight end five times last year, week seven, nine, 10, 11, and 15. Remember, he really started to get rolling toward the second half of the season. He should be able to pick that up from the very beginning. Foss Moreau was also a top five tight end in week 10 of last season as well. So you had a couple different instances. Actually, uh, week seven, Juwan Johnson and Taysom Hill were both in the top five. And then in week 10, Taysom Hill and Juwan Johnson on different teams, of course, were also both in the top five. So just in terms of individual performance at tight end, even if you take Taysom Hill out of that equation because of the quarterback stuff, the, the, run, the running back stuff, the running quarterback stuff that he does, which I completely understand, even though that's still a contribution from your tight end room, technically, if you're just talking about formally playing the position of tight end, you saw both Juwan Johnson and Foster Moreau find their way into being a top five tight end on individual weeks based on individual performance. So now you put that together, you help to put points on the board, especially when you're taking 70.6% of your passes to extend drives or finish drives in the end zone like Foster Moreau is. You add that to this team. You add that to an ascending Juwan Johnson. You add that to a developing Lucas Curl. You add that to a revitalizing uh, 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 Jesse James, you add that to a versatile Taysom Hill and bam, you're off and running with this tight end group in a way that you could have never imagined last year's tight end group to be able to get it done. So I do think that this is a big time benefit for the Saints and for Derek Carr. And Derek Carr kind of elevates this a little bit too because of his relationship with one of the tight ends that's already in the roster and Foster Moreau but what he's been able to do with tight ends in the past. Then you add in Clancy Barone, because not only did the New Orleans Saints revamp their tight end room, they changed their tight end coach as well. And they brought in the Pro Bowl maker at the position and had him come in and now is going to be able to work with some of these guys. He's worked with guys like Antonio Gates and Algie Crumpler and bigger and more Julius Thomas and bigger names. He has developed some big time tight ends. He worked with Kyle Rudolph as well. He worked with Jesse James, who's now back here. Uh, teamed up with him here in New Orleans. And so not only did the Saints 
revitalize the position in terms of players. They revitalize the leadership of that position, the teaching of that position, and the implementation of that position, as well as improving the distribution to that position with the addition of Derek Carr. So I love this for New Orleans because this is a tight end room that can extend drives for you, that can finish drives for you, that can keep your plays alive, that can do all these other things, and that can be that safety net for your new quarterback here in New Orleans. Great position to pay attention to, and the Saints did a wonderful job improving it over the course of this offseason. They also did a great job improving another skill position that is running back, particularly when it comes to depth. Specifically, though, it's the addition of Jamal Williams that I think is being a little slept on, especially after the draft and the addition of Kendra Miller. We're not talking about him enough. So let's fix that as we continue on with today's episode of Locked on Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Locked on Saints brought to you by FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. There is no better place to get in on the action right now, particularly when it comes to Major League Baseball, because it is in full swing than over with FanDuel. And right now, if you're a new customer, you're going to be able to get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That is $1,000 that comes back to you in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to join today. Then you can get involved in some early New Orleans Saints odds. You can get involved in some Major League Baseball odds, of course, as well, regardless of who your favorite baseball team is. There's props. There's same game parlays that you can do for an even bigger payout on some favorites, things like that. College World Series, a ton to get in on. So don't miss your chance to snag that no sweat first bet of up to $1,000. When you join FanDuel today, just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, family, continuing on with today's episode of Locked on Saints. Thanks again, as always, making Locked on Saints your first listen of the day every day. For all you everydayers out there, we're going to start taking a look at our big position battles that we're going to be covering on Thursday's episode. So it's going to be every single Thursday, position battle Thursday. And we're starting off with the cornerback two spot. That's in a couple of days. Tomorrow's episode, though, for your everydayers, we're also going to be taking a look at Taysom Hill. What is his role going to look like? How can it expand? And why the New Orleans Saints shouldn't be afraid to utilize him at the quarterback position. We'll get to that as well as midweek fundamentals in Wednesday's episode. So a whole lineup coming for you uh, throughout the week. And we'll get back to live shows starting on Thursday. So we'll do a live show Thursday night. And then next week, we'll get back to the regular schedule, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night live shows. All right. So as we continue on with our undervalued, underrated, slept on storylines for the New Orleans Saints, the next one is easy. The addition of Jamal Williams might end up running back. Jamal Williams might end up being one of the most important additions for the New Orleans Saints this offseason. And no one's talking about it anymore. Nobody's talking about it anymore. I know that I I did a show not too long ago on how he ends up aiding this offense. But Y'all, it, 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 was, it was such a big story when it happened because we all knew that the Saints were going to be in the running back market, whether it's because of the expected Alvin Kamara suspension, which we won't know any more about at this point until at least July 31st, maybe even longer than that, but we might get a glimpse of it during his trial date, which is currently set for then. We knew that they were going to be in the market there. We did not expect, though, that they were going to be able to go and get the effectively top running back that was on the market, save guys that were going to be franchise tagged like Saquon Barkley and Jacob, uh, uh, Josh Jacobs. But you have a New Orleans Saints team that has been able to consistently get a lot of production out of its running back room since Alvin Kamara has been here, with the exception of the past couple of years. And now you start to look at, okay, so what changed, what's different? And it's the lack of having a power back. And now the Saints went out and got not only 
a power back, but the power back, 17 rushing touchdowns last year, which led the NFL. And I know a lot of those were in goal to go situations. A lot of those were in uh, red zone situations. But guess what? In those seasons where Alvin Kamara had mad amounts of touchdowns, 18, you know, 17, 18, whatever it was, the majority of them came in the red zone or in goal to go situations. That's where you want your running back to be able to win and succeed. You don't want to have to go to the to go to the air if you don't need to in those situations. You're putting the ball in harm's way. Go with your safe guys. Go with the running backs. That's where you saw Alvin Kamara thrive. That's where you saw Jamal Williams thrive. Now they're both on the same team, and you can add Taysom Hill to that conversation as well, of course. But I get it. We don't talk about that as much anymore because Kendra Miller is such an enigma right now because you know he's really really good. You know that. You saw that in his days at TCU, 1,399 rushing yards, 17 rushing touchdowns. He was remarkable. But the Horn Frogs didn't even get to play in one game, the last game, because of that, um, that MCL injury, sort of that sprained MCL injury. He's going to be back during training camp. He was out there during OTAs, watching, out there during mini camps, watching, all that just hasn't been able to participate. And so he's a little bit of this exciting enigma. What's going to happen when he finally touches the ball, especially when you think the recency bias of kind of the inflation of like, oh, what's going to happen when he first touches the ball? Remember what happened with Rashid Shahid, right? Those types of things, which I don't think is like bad. I'm just saying like those types of things end up kind of getting in the way of the sure things that you already have on the roster. The potential becomes really, really exciting. Who will Eno Benjamin be in 2023? And can he finally be the guy that everyone expected he was going to be at the next level when he was drafted coming out of Arizona State? Uh, will there be another person like Ellis Merriweather that's going to end up maybe making a run for uh, a roster spot or a practice squad spot, Kirk Merritt and his transition from wide receiver to running back. All of those things are exciting, but the Jamal Williams addition is still the most important thing that the Saints have done in the running back room in terms of bringing in an NFL veteran that has produced in several different ways in entirely different offenses and has found ways to rebrand himself and make himself a part of that team and a successful part of that team and also being a leader in the locker room while doing it. So yes, you get the power back there, but he is more than just a short yardage back. He had that sort of change of pace role back in Green Bay when he was a bit more of a pass catcher. As we highlighted, I talked about his offseason workout uh, that I got from, from a source, 1,000 catches, you know, catching 1,000 passes every day, four days a week, all of that. Like He wants to continue to develop as a pass catcher. We saw that during Saints OTAs and minicamps as well. But the short yardage advantage that he does bring does help to open up Alvin Kamara's game for however many games he is available. And so you have a guy that can handle the between the tackles stuff instead of you having to treat Alvin Kamara as the bell cow and having to be that guy between the tackles and take all those hits, take all those carries, bring that average down from what we've seen from him in the past because you're not just getting him out in space as the change of pace guy. He can go back to being that. He can be the guy that you utilize out in space. He also, Jamal Williams, helps you retain a little bit of your disguise over on the offensive side because not only is he a developing as a pass catcher or a developing pass catching threat, but he's also a solid pass blocker, solid pass protector in the backfield. So having him on the field in a shotgun formation, having him on the field in a single back formation where he's lined up behind Derek Carr and Derek Carr's under center doesn't immediately translate to the defense. Oh, this is a run play. They've got their short yardage guy out there. They can run a play action to him and a little play action boot to the outside and have him help to clean up the backside defender that's coming off of that play. And then you take the boot action to the opposite side, and then you're dumping off to somebody that's either coming across the formation, behind the formation, or that's you know a, a Michael Thomas who's running a, a curl route or a comeback or a hitch or something like that. It's where he can just out-physical the guy that's in front of him. That's the value that Jamal Williams brings you beyond just what he does with the ball in his hands. It's also just as much 
the threat of what he can do if he has the ball in his hands that will allow you to get the ball into other playmakers' hands and be able to make some big plays. So I really love the addition of Jamal Williams. And I know that we haven't talked about it as much as we did when it first happened. You know how excited I was about that. Jamal Williams is one of my favorite players to cover, one of my favorite players to watch in the NFL. I love that he's here in New Orleans wearing the 3-0 and you know the, the fun visor and just big personality and all those things. But beyond the stuff that maybe makes him vertical video relevant and TikTok relevant and all this other stuff, and they get sort of the, the locker room juice that they need and that they lost. Remember, one of the things that made 2017, 2018 so much fun when it came to Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram wasn't just what they did on the field. It was the boom and zoom. It was the, the personality that they had off the field. Jamal Williams brings you that back to New Orleans and New Orleans will be able to capitalize on it. So we're not sleeping anymore on the Jamal Williams edition. It was fun when it first happened. We kind of chilled on it. Now we're bringing the hype train back up because he is going to be a big piece of what this New Orleans Saints offense can be in 2023. Coming up next, we're going to wrap everything up with a little bit of rapid fire. We've got three different underrated slept on storylines. Got some help from the folks over on Twitter for this one as well. Also, uh, we'll give some shout outs and we'll go through leading off with an unexpected position battle that I know I didn't see coming during this year's training camp. Got that coming up for you as we continue on and wrap up today's episode of Locked on Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it. Who that Nation? Wrapping up today's episode of Locked on Saints. For all you everydayers out there, appreciate you being here. Taking a look at the most slept on storylines at this point in the New Orleans Saints offseason, uh, we looked at Jamal Williams, which wasn't a slept-on storyline when he first got signed, but definitely became a slept-on storyline over time um, as you know other exciting things happened in that position room and at other positions, let's be honest. Uh, we looked at also their reframing of the tight end room, which doesn't get a ton of love because it's the tight end room, but it is an important room for guys like Derek Carr and the New Orleans Saints offense. Now we're going to go a little bit rapid fire, quote unquote, right? Just spend a couple of minutes on each of these, but I've got three more for you. And we got some help from some folks over on Twitter. So I want to start off with uh, uh, my good friend, Ralph, from over at Saints Happy Hour at Saints Forecast on Twitter. Uh, he mentioned the kicking position between Will Lutz and Blake Groupie. This is a big one. Blake Groupie, five foot seven, 160 pound kicker, undrafted free agent coming out of Notre Dame. And people kind of have seen over the course of the past few years that the Saints will bring in a kicker to kind of ease the tension on Will Lutz a little bit so that he's not kicking every single one of those reps all throughout training camp and stuff. And that's kind of what I expected this to be. They also had brought in uh, Cavedo for a little while, Alex Cavedo, and he ended up being released or waived uh, not too long ago. But the interesting thing about Will Lutz and Blake Groupie is that this isn't a situation where Blake Groupie is just going to come in and kind of like relieve uh, Will Lutz on some kicking duties and things like that every now and then during training camp so he can rest his leg. This is going to be a legitimate competition between the two. I think there's still distance between there that Will Lutz, Will Lutz being the incumbent guy and knowing what he can be at the NFL level and all that, knowing that he's coming back from you know big time injuries and surgery and stuff and, and, and all that. I, I completely get it. And I do think that Will Lutz has a lead there, but this is a legitimate competition. Remember, Will Lutz also has had his personal field goal percentage career lows in each of the last two seasons. So he's had a dip those last two years that he played. And again, injury was a part of that. Surgery was a part of that. There's context there, but something to keep in mind. The other thing to keep in mind is that he had the second lowest field goal percentage uh, amongst all kickers across the NFL last year with at least 10 field goal attempts. He was at 74.2, just above the last place guy at 71.2. So I think that that's another thing that you're looking at. Um, 
he has looked good throughout OTAs. He did look good during mini camps as well, but also so did Blake Groupie. So I do think that the Saints are going to do the thing that Dennis Allen loves to do, which is drive competition. They want competition all across this roster and to expect them to drive this competition quite a bit. So it's going to be really interesting. I think after it's all said and done, Will Lutz probably wins this job. I, I don't know that I'll ever question that, uh, but we'll have to wait and see what we see during training camp, what it really matters. And those guys get out there and they start kicking and everybody starts counting, right? We're all going to be counting. Uh, all right. He's attempted this many, made this many. What's that percentage? Attempted this many, made this many. If that ends up being a Blake Groupie advantage, there's going to be a lot of conversation throughout the preseason leading up to roster cuts. Because remember, roster cuts are different this year. It's no longer going from 90 to 85, from 85 to 80 after the second preseason game. And then after the third preseason game, going from 90 to uh, 53. There's no cuts after the first game, no cuts required after the second game. And after the third day game, you go directly from 90 to 53. You just drop right off at that point. That doesn't mean that teams won't cut people after the first game or second game. That can still happen. But it's going to be a big conversation if Blake Groupie finishes training camp proper in the lead in terms of field goal attempts made versus field goal attempts committed, committed, attempted, uh, and all that. And then once we get into the preseason. <laughs> going to be a big conversation for sure so definitely worth watching uh next up this one comes from uh jeremy pellegrin on twitter uh dennis allen getting his coaching staff so does dennis allen having his coaching staff perform better than dennis allen what's most of sean payton's coaching staff still around and i'm going to add thanks to uh at dontrell one on twitter that this also includes a decision to not replace offensive coordinator right because one of the few remaining sean payton people that's still here is Pete Carmichael, longest active tenured offensive coordinator in the NFL, uh, which pairs up with the longest active tenured um, uh, 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 general manager in Mickey Loomis in the NFL as well. But uh, that's a big place where they didn't make a change. And there's a lot of reason to believe that, okay, well, maybe Pete can turn it around from last year's uh, production based upon what 2011 looked like, what 2012 looked like, what this offense has looked like when he's been a part of it. Now he's got a quarterback that's a little bit more familiar to what he has helped to build that offense around in its sort of infancy. And then as it, as it kind of grew and matured over time and became the offense that we know from 2011, even those 2014, 15, 16 teams were bad because of the defense, but the offense was phenomenal. He was a part of that. And now he's got a guy that's a little bit more familiar to him, to the different skill, to the different skills, to the different traits that you need to have uh, for this offense. And so maybe you see a little bit of, of a boost there, but you also have to think about bringing in Clancy Barone and making the change at tight end coach. Last year, one of the first things that Dennis Allen did was move on from Coach CJ, Coach Curtis Johnson, the longtime wide receiver coach that everybody loved. And he brought in a young guy in Cody Burns. Cody Burns has been fantastic so far. Uh, he's continued with Ronald Curry, and that makes perfect sense. Uh, you know, the, the change at defensive back coach where they brought in uh, Marcus Robertson and the fact that they went from Aaron Glenn to Chris Richard to Marcus Robertson is still phenomenal to me. He himself is a defensive back mastermind. He has another defensive back mastermind in Joe Woods. They got away from the co-defensive coordinator structure, which kind of appeased both of the Sean Payton guys and Chris Richard, as well as uh, Ryan Nielsen. And look, those guys were D Dennis Allen guys too. Let's not get that. Let's not get that twisted. But now it's replaced. It's one voice. It's all there. Um, or it's one voice along with Dennis Allen. Um, the, you know, they've kept um, uh, Michael Hodges, who's been phenomenal with, with the linebackers and Demario Davis. And everybody, they you know make more changes uh, along uh, the defensive line with Todd Grantham. This is Dennis Allen's coaching staff now. So how does this coaching staff perform versus the example of last year where they were performing 
kind of with this hybrid Dennis Allen, Sean Payton coaching staff, this feels a lot more like Dennis Allen's, even though there are still some Sean Payton ornaments that are still around, but really, really valuable ones to be sure. And then lastly, and this one was kind of something that came up from a bunch of different people in a bunch of different ways. Some folks talk about not enough talk about Smoke Monday. We got to remember he still hasn't played a game, right? So we still have to see all that. Uh, but zero days since Smoke Monday was mentioned a lot on Saints podcast. Uh, people have also mentioned the additions of like Lonnie Johnson Jr. and sort of the the PJ Williams like role that he would have and the versatility that he brings and all those other things. So I think the thing that I look at that kind of encapsulates all that is really for me the slot battle the the who's going to be the slot corner because the things didn't make a change there necessarily they walked in with bradley roby but bradley roby had injuries he missed time last year quite a bit of time and i think that if the saints didn't go out there and make an overt move at that position they're aware that they need to be ready at that position to have so there's somebody on this roster that they love that they love in the slot. My suspicion is that it's Jordan Howden. That's my suspicion. The rookie that they drafted the fifth round out of Minnesota. He's probably the most unheralded. You talk about guys that are being slept on. He's probably the most slept on draft pick so far. Um, but, or from, from this year, sorry, from the 2023 class. But you also have to consider like Ugo Amadi has been a slot specialist in the NFL. Uh, uh, Jonathan Abram has taken snaps there, but he's a little bit more of a box safety. I, I think he's in a different role entirely. Lonnie Johnson Jr. can play in the slot. Alante Taylor is getting cross-trained in the slot. Bradley Roby is there. There are a lot of different players that can contribute there, including Smoke Monday. And so I'm really, really interested to see exactly, even if it's not the starter, right? Even if the starter is Bradley Roby, who's the guy that's immediately behind him? Or who do they rotate in in certain game situations? So I'm really, really interested in the slot position over the course of training camp, over the course of preseason, and of course, getting into uh, the NFL season, the 2023 NFL season as well. All right, y'all. That's a bunch of them. There's a bunch more. I think that people have pointed out defensive line, the addition of Colin Saunders, uh, a whole bunch of different additions that people have, have, have kind of talked about. So I love hearing kind of like, what are your most slept on storylines? Because we can revisit this. Because even though I went through the ones that I think are the, the top ones, we can circle back to this in another week and say, hey, here's more and continue to continue to sort of put a spotlight on these kind of unheralded, under discussed and uh, slept on storylines for the New Orleans Saints offseason because if we're not doing it, the national guys definitely aren't. So whatever you've got, hit me, hit me up and let me know what are your most underrated storylines or storylines that you think will have an impact for the New Orleans Saints this offseason or this season that you haven't heard enough about this offseason. And let's do it. Let's dig in. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to dive into uh, maybe another one of those is the conversation around what does Taysom Hill do in 2023? And so I'm going to tell you what I think he does. We're going to highlight one of the places where he can be more involved. And I'm going to tell you why it's probably going to look mostly the same with the, with the addition of the thing we think he can get a little bit more involved in. So we'll dig into that and much more in tomorrow's episode of Locked on Saints. For all you everydayers out there, thanks so much as always making Locked on Saints your first listen of the day every day. I'll see you all tomorrow. And as always, I appreciate y'all so much for making Locked on Saints a part of your day, part of your routine for saying yes to me and the show. As always, if you see me, say hi. And if you need anything else around your New Orleans Saints in between these episodes, Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A. Hit me up. Let me know how the family's doing. Let me know how you're living. Let me know how you're mom and them. And trust you, that nation, I'll holla at you.